Hi, I'm Mark Priestley. After a life spent in the elite environment of the Formula One pit lane learning how to win, this podcast aims to bring that elusive, high-performance culture into your daily lives. In this week's episode, we're looking at the inevitability of change. Change that happens to us through an evolving set of circumstances, but also the changes that we drive ourselves and yet so often fail to deliver upon. Welcome back to a brand new season of Pit Lane Life Lessons. Talk about how Formula One teams are so successful. Tiny things, but you only find those tiny things when you look for them. Of course, there's only one winner in every Grand Prix, so for everybody else, you haven't won, so it could be deemed that's, that's a failure. Hello everybody and welcome back to episode 51 of the Pit Lane Life Lessons podcast. Thank you so much for joining me wherever you are in the world, whatever it is you're up to, however it is you're listening to this. I appreciate every single one of you genuinely. I'm so excited to be back. I've missed doing this podcast every single week. I've taken a bit of a break over the Christmas and holiday period into the new year to spend with family, to recoup, recover, relax and reset my life. But now I am back up to full speed in almost every facet of what I do from work to personal life. Really enjoying life right now. I'm really excited and energised for the year ahead. And today I wanted to talk about one thing that's common to all of us. One thing that we all face and have to go through, whether we like it or not, and that's change. But there are more than one type of change. There are types of change that we have no choice but to go through because the world changes around us. That's happening to us all of the time. We've seen that in the most grand scale in the last few years. The environment in which we operate will have changed for almost all of us to some extent. And it's happening all of the time to every single one of us, sometimes very slowly, sometimes in very small ways, sometimes, as we've seen post-pandemic, in quite dramatic and big fashion. And we have to learn to cope with that. Now, I've done an episode much earlier on talking about how we deal with some of those changes. Off the back of that pandemic in particular, how can we embrace that change and turn it into an advantage? I spent some time in Abu Dhabi last week speaking to an enormous company, a global firm, who are facing dramatic change themselves because the environment in which they operate has been changed around them. Not something they chose to do, but the set of rules and regulations, the expectations upon them have changed dramatically. And so they have to change what they do to cope, to adapt, to gain advantage over those that are not quite as well adapted to that change. And I went out to speak through my experiences of Formula One doing that on a regular basis through regulation changes that happen every single year when you get a driver change or a team management or personnel change, when the sort of modus operandi of your team might change, when the competition changes, when the even bigger picture, big scale changes happen, like the end of the tobacco era in Formula One and how that really impacted the financial uh, landscape that Formula One teams had to operate in. I talked about how we dealt with those things, how Formula One's very good at dealing with those things and imparted that to them to help them to embrace this change that's coming over the horizon for them. And we'll touch on some of those things in a little bit later on in the, in the episode. But I wanted to start with the type of change that we drive ourselves, the type of change that we sometimes want to make, where we choose to make a change for the betterment of our lives, whether it's for the betterment of our personal lives, from our health and well-being perspectives, whether it's uh, professional, on a professional level, looking to move up the ladder, to gain promotion, to become more successful in whichever way that looks for you. There are quite often times in our lives where we see fit to drive a change forward. Now, that can be a really exciting time. It can be a, a time where there is enormous opportunity on the other side of that change. But there is nobody pushing us to do it. It's something that we choose independently to go and do. I'm bringing this up now, of course, because we're at the start of a new year. We are in January, towards the end of January, as I record this podcast, in 2023. Just a few weeks ago, many of us, many of you, will have made New Year's resolutions. We'll have exclaimed to yourselves, maybe to people around you, to family members, 
this is what I'm going to do differently in 2023. These are my New Year's resolutions. How many of you, as we approach the end of January, are still working towards those New Year's resolutions, are still operating in the fashion that you set out to operate on New Year's Day, on the 1st of January? How many of you, be honest, how many of you are still maintaining those new regimes or protocols? I can tell you that statistically, most of you won't be. Most people who set a New Year's resolution have failed to deliver upon that by the end of January, by the end of that first four or five week period. Isn't that staggering that most of us cannot even deliver on something that we promised ourselves we would do just a few weeks earlier? Not even something that we were forced to do, but something that we decided to do. We announced to everybody that we were going to do it, and yet most of us fail. So I want to look at why that happens, how that happens, and how we can mitigate that, how we can find a way around that, how we can maintain that motivation, that drive, how we can deliver on the promises that we set ourselves, whether it's a New Year's resolution or at any point during a year. I've talked in the past about how I don't really believe in New Year's resolutions because why wait for the new year? If you want to drive a change in your life, if you see a need for a change in your life, do it now. It doesn't matter if you start now at the end of January. It doesn't matter if you start in July. Start whenever you feel the need for for that change is relevant and required. And in Formula One terms, I believe I've got some perspective to offer on this because Formula One teams are forever having to drive change. We're forever having to innovate and come up with new ways of doing things. We're having to look at new ideas all of the time. And that means we have to go through new regimes, new protocols. We have to formulate new habits all of the time as the season goes on. Between seasons, we have to come up with new ideas and we have to implement those. And we can't let them fall away by the end of the first month because we're simply not going to be a successful Formula One team if that happens. So I want to talk to you about some of my top tips for formulating habits so that these new regimes and ideas are locked in place to the point where they become easier to do them than they are not to do them. Because that's the point. If your resolution, if your new way of doing things, and I'm going to use a New Year's resolution as the example here, but really it doesn't have to be that way. This can happen and apply at any point throughout the year, as I said. If you've decided you want to do something differently to improve your life or your way of life, this is how you can go about doing it. These are the basic pillars that you need to formulate to enable that to happen and for it to be sustainable. You first of all need to have a reason to do it. You need to know very clearly why you want to make that change. There's got to be a constant motivation for that change to happen. And when we sit down just on New Year's Eve and we talk about our New Year's resolutions, quite often we're just saying it because it's coming up to New Year and that's what you do. You announce a New Year's resolution. Most of the reason that many, many, many of these New Year's resolutions fail is because they weren't really driven by a genuine purpose or motivation. They were driven by a tradition, which is the announcement of a New Year's resolution on New Year's Day. You tell everybody, you have a discussion about it. You talk about it in your families, amongst your friend groups. And it comes up to that time and somebody asks you, got any New Year's resolutions? And you sort of have to think of one. You come up with one on the spot. You may have been thinking about it, building up to it. But is that because it's coming up to New Year? Or is it because you desperately feel the need and desire to make this change in your life? Many of those changes that we make, particularly around New Year, often centre around things like health, well-being, fitness. We all want to get fitter, eat healthier. We want to sleep better. We want to get fitter, have more exercise, have a more active life. All of the things that we hear all the time are good for us. And of course they are. We will be better off as a human race, as individuals, if we implement those things in our lives. But what's the real driving force behind that? What's the real motivation? For some people, it might be that they feel like they're overweight. They feel like when they climb the stairs to go up to bed, they're out of breath. That's a sign of being unfit. A sign that they can't cope with some of the more basic athletic activities. 
And that might be a little warning sign to somebody that maybe we should start thinking about living our lives a little bit more healthily. But those are little tiny warning signs which quite easily can be forgotten. And when the alarm goes off at 6am because you've told yourself you're going to get up and do some exercise in the morning before you start work, it's much easier to turn that alarm off and to roll over or to hit snooze and go back to bed. It's much easier to do that than it is to get out of bed and go ahead and make that change, to get up and do that exercise. If we don't have a genuine purpose-driven motivation to make that change, of course, that's exactly what you're going to do. You are going to hit snooze and you're going to roll over. Because if that motivation is not on your mind all of the time, it's going to be way easier to take the easy option. And that is exactly the reason that you will have probably ended up in the situation that you were in in the first place that at some point drove you to want to make a change. But is the desire strong enough? For some people, it takes something much more than that to drive that desire. For some people, it takes a, a really big, momentous moment in their life, a moment of a health scare, a death in the family, a loved one or friend losing their life to an ailment or an illness or a condition that could potentially threaten you too if you don't look after yourself that wake-up call that we sometimes need. Now, sometimes seeing somebody else going through some major struggles due to their health is enough of a kick up the backside to motivate us. And constantly having the pain of seeing that loved one or friend, having lost them or seeing them struggle or suffer, the pain that you feel when you think about that can be enough of a driving force to keep you going. But even that sometimes will begin to wane when that person or that friend recovers, when time passes and people to some extent come to terms with the loss of that loved one. Life moves on. Do you still have that same motivation? The answer quite commonly is no. So whatever our motivation might be, whether it is something like it's a a health driven scare, a wake up call, something that is a a jolt of lightning to give us that kick up the backside to make sure that we know we need to make change. It could be a financial scare. It could be a health scare. It could be something else. It could be something with friends, family relationships. There can be some really big, catastrophic in some cases, occasions and occurrences in your life that make you sit up and say things like, right, I'm never going back to those old ways again. But even after all of those things, many of us do exactly that. We do go exactly back to those old ways. So how do we get that motivation to be locked in? How do we force that change through? How do we make it to a point where we have to do those things or we do those things without even really having to think about them anymore? And the answer is they become habits. We have to make them habits. In Formula One terms, to relate this back to some of the things that I've learned through my time in Formula One, we are making changes all of the time. Formula One, as a mechanic, as an engineer, as a member of a Formula One team, the race weekend can be quite formulaic. We kind of do the same things, more or less, at every Grand Prix. We go through a set and standard set of procedures. We might arrive on a Thursday and we'll get the cars out the truck with the garage having been built. We'll, you know, go over those cars. We'll finish the jobs that need doing. We'll fire the engines up. We'll go through a scrutineering process. We'll set the cars up, make sure the driver settings are correct. We'll have an engineering meeting, a briefing ahead of the first session on a Friday, and we'll go through this exact same process every single weekend. We can be anywhere in the world, but the garage looks the same. The cars look the same. The people that you're surrounded with every day are the same. The jobs that you have to do are pretty much the same. The time frames are the same. We work to the same schedule every single weekend. We have the same objectives every single weekend. And many of the challenges we face are also the same. And so it becomes formulaic. It becomes a habit. It becomes something that we become very good at. And habits mean that we become so expert, so we have so much expertise and knowledge in that way of doing things that when you want to change it, 
When something comes along that means we have to do something differently, it can be tricky. When someone develops a new bit of software, a new bit of code that goes into the car systems, and that means there's a slightly different procedure for firing up the car. We have to go through an extra series of checks, for example. It would be very easy for us just to revert back to the old way of doing things because it's programmed in. The neurological pathways in all of our brains are, are programmed to do things a certain way because we've done it hundreds and hundreds of times. When it gets to this particular time on a Friday morning, we fire the engine up and we know exactly how to do that. Each person has their role in that procedure. It's all locked in, it's formulated, and we do it almost without thinking. So when someone comes along and a bit of software changes that changes that procedure, that means we have to do something a bit differently, somewhere down that chain of command, that chain of the process, we've got to break the old habit and formulate a new one. Now in Formula One terms, we do that through things like checklists. We add it into our checklist. Even though we don't really need a checklist to go through that procedure, we do it every single week. We do it with our eyes shut. We put in place a checklist so that we cannot move in onto the next segment or the next section in that procedure until the previous one has been checked, checked and double checked, until someone has almost signed it off. If you've got a new procedure and that's now written into that checklist, you can see how it would be very difficult to move on past that and just skip the new procedure without having somebody actually physically sign it off and check it, even though it might be the most simple thing. So checklists and signing things off, becoming accountable to something is a really good way of locking in that habit, of making sure that it can't be missed. And in our own lives, that can be done in a number of different ways. We can also operate lists. Lists are a great way of not forgetting things. They're a great way of helping us through our day for so many different reasons. They help us to gain motivation to move on to the next step. They give us a little sense of satisfaction as we're able to tick one of those things off our box because we've achieved something. We ticked it off our list. We achieve something every time we complete a step. If we don't have that checklist or that list running through our day, we can go for hours and hours without really having any sign of accomplishment. Only maybe when we get to the end of a day do we stop and go, well, what have we achieved? Well, actually, we achieved quite a lot. But we've gone through hours and hours and hours of constant slog without that little boost of accomplishment, that feeling that we get when we're able to check off a list. So lists can be really good, valuable tools in a situation like this, especially when you're trying to lock in a new habit. So if it's getting up in the morning to do some exercise before you have your breakfast, have it on your list and have that list by the side of your bed so that when you get up and you hit the alarm, there's the first thing ticked off your list. You didn't hit snooze, you just turned the alarm off and you got up. Tick, accomplishment, celebrate it, a little boost inside your brain that the very first thing of the day has been accomplished within the first few seconds of you waking up. That can help to just boost that little dopamine hit that you get inside your brain that gives you the little motivation to move on to the next step. And if you tick that, if you put that list with the new procedures in it and you have to tick it off, it just helps to keep pushing you forward to the next thing. The next thing is to make sure that it's easy. Anything that's difficult or more difficult than the existing ways of doing things, it's going to be very easy to not do it. The idea of not getting up when your alarm goes off to go and do exercise, that seems much harder than just hitting that big snooze button and rolling over. Of course, it is harder. So how can we make that process easier? Because when that alarm goes off and you think, OK, right, I said I was going to do some exercise. What does that mean? Well, that means me rolling out of bed. It means me going to find my, my gym kit, my shorts, my T-shirt, my trainers. It might mean me going outside. It might mean me putting off my breakfast. It might have meant me getting up a little bit earlier to be able to fit all these things in. Well, is there a way that we can simplify that process to take away just one or two of those hurdles to make the process a bit easier? 
Again, in Formula One terms, we would do exactly that. We would try to find the most simple way of implementing this new procedure in our process so that it doesn't take up too much more time, so that it doesn't involve too many more people, so that it can involve the minimum number of extra steps required to get to the point we need to get to. So we will evolve that new process to the point where we can simplify it down to its most basic form, yet still achieve the objective. It's a very important part of being efficient in your processes, and Formula One, again, is very, very good at that. So instead of having two or three people have to chip in with various processes, can that be simplified? Can it be dulled down or dimmed down into one procedure that one person can do? That might seem really obvious, but Formula One's a very specialised business. There are lots of very specialist people doing lots of very specialist roles within a team. And in reality, it would be quite easy to have to bounce that procedure around a number of different people to implement whatever the new task is. If we can delegate that, if we can simplify it down to one person's role, it takes a number of steps out the process and makes it easier to achieve. If you're desperately wanting to get up and do your exercise in the morning, Get your gym kit out and lay it right next to the bed. Put your shorts, your t-shirt, your socks, your trainers literally right next to the bed. So as you roll out of that bed, they are there. You don't need to go looking for them. They're right there. It's easier to put them on than it is to sort of climb over them. That's one little trick, little tip that you can use to make this process less of a hurdle. You could prepare some breakfast the night before to save you a little bit of time. And that might mean you don't have to get up quite as early because once you've done your exercise, maybe your breakfast's ready. Maybe you put some porridge in a bowl, some oats or whatever it is you have. Maybe you've prepared some of that in advance. If you make lunch before you go to work, maybe you made that the night before too. Another step out of the process to simplify this new regime that you're trying to implement. The easier it becomes to do, the more likely you are to do it. Of course, finding exercises that you actually enjoy or that you don't hate, even as a starting point, is a far better way to keep that motivation up. If you've told yourself you're going to go running, yet actually you don't really enjoy running, don't do running. If you prefer cycling, go cycling. If you prefer jumping up and down or running on the spot in front of the telly or with the music on inside your own home, do that. It doesn't matter. If your desire is to get some movement and exercise in first thing in the morning, there are so many ways you can do that. You don't have to go outside into the cold and go running down the street if that's something you know you're not going to enjoy. The very first step to making this change work for you is to finding a way It's finding a way to make it the least stressful, is to make it as easy as possible. And if you can find a way that you actually enjoy it, it's going to be far easier to motivate yourself to do it. I know this on a personal level. I have tried all sorts of different exercises and I'm quite a fit and active person. I've been running, which I don't hate, but I always found um, now getting a bit old, quite frankly, my knees start to hurt. Cycling is something that I enjoy, but I find it a bit of a faff where my bike's kept getting that out in the morning. So it was always, again, one of these little hurdles that I quite often would use as an excuse not to go and do it. And then, you know, it gets dark in the mornings over the wintertime. So when I get up early, it's still pitch black. I use that as another reason why I can't go and do those things. But now I found an exercise that actually I really love. I've taken away all those excuses I've bought myself a sort of six foot heavy punch bag and I can hang it off the balcony outside the back of my house where it's lit. I've got light so I can turn it on. Whether it's pitch black outside or not, I can still do it. It's sheltered. So even if it's raining, I can still get out there. And the most important thing is I really enjoy it. I enjoy it as an activity. It's great as a workout, but it's also great as stress relief. It's a brilliant way for me to get my day started, get the adrenaline pumping and get myself up and ready for the day. And when I finished, I feel great. I feel knackered, but I feel great. And that, of course, is the very point. So I found a way to get what I want out of this morning routine and take away, strip back as many of the hurdles and excuses that could be there to stop me from doing it. 
And I employ many of these techniques. I do have my, what I call my PE kit. I put it next to my bed before I go to bed. It's there in the morning. And I do prepare some of my breakfast before I go to bed. I try as many of, to implement as many of these little tips myself as I can because I know they work. I have seen them work through Formula One in various guises. But I know they work, for me at least, because I'm using them on a daily basis. So taking away the excuses and the barriers to keep that motivation up is a really important step in making sure we continue to consistently implement the change that we wanted to make. And don't forget, this is a change we want to make. And that comes on to my next point about why we want to make that change. I talked about having a very clear purpose and reason for it. It's absolutely, totally necessary. We must have a reason for it. We must be very clear on what that reason is. And if we go back to the example of wanting to become fit and healthy, and there are many, so many changes, it doesn't have to be that. As I said before, it could be anything from financial to relationships to professional. But I tend to use this physical health and fitness regime because it's something that I have worked through myself. It's something I've also worked through in terms of Formula One as well. A Formula One team went through dramatic change from turning a group of mechanics and engineers who were quite frankly nowhere near athletes, who quite honestly enjoyed the race weekend as much for anything we did at the racetrack as we did for going out for a night out on the booze when we finished work in all of these glamorous locations around the world. It was great fun, but it certainly wasn't getting us anywhere closer to our own health and fitness goals or those of the team as we began to appreciate the importance of health and fitness and well-being in general to the people within our team and the impact that has on our team's performance. So I have learned through those techniques that we were able to learn and develop at McLaren how this works and why it works. I have read many, many books. I am doing a, a huge amount of research at the moment. That's one of the things I've been doing all the while I've been away from this podcast over the past couple of months, is researching my next book that I'm writing. I'm writing that book and it encompasses many of the subjects that we talk about here on this podcast, this subject being one of them. So that research is fresh in my mind. And one of the things that I know that we implemented incredibly successfully at McLaren was this idea of envisaging where you want to get to. Now, if you go back to this health and fitness goal, if you envisage where your goal is, where you want to get to in, say, six months from now, imagine yourself, close your eyes, you can do it right now, close your eyes and imagine yourself in the place you want to be in six months time. That could be somebody who's financially successful. It could be someone who's taken a promotion up the corporate ladder within your company. You could now be a manager in this vision that you're putting together in your head. You might be in a real happy place in a relationship. You might have the six pack you always dreamt of. You might be able to run 10 kilometers, which you definitely can't do right now. Whatever your goal might be, whatever you're aiming for, whatever the reason behind your desire to change is, close your eyes and envisage what that person looks like in six months time. Imagine you've achieved your goals, you've ticked the box, you got to wherever it is you want to get to. What does that person look like? It might be that you're envisaging somebody who's toned with a great body with a six pack that you've always dreamt of. Muscular, if that's what you're after. It might be somebody who's got a bit more financial freedom than you have today. It might be somebody who's leading a team at work. Imagine what that person's like. Put yourself in that person's perspective. Just cast your mind forward and think about a day in the shoes of that person. That person's you six months or a year from now. But imagine what a day looks like. And then imagine what that person is doing, what kind of actions and behaviours that person, you, is doing throughout the day. This newly successful person who's hit all of the goals you're dreaming about now and on the beginning of this long journey to get towards. What's that person doing throughout the day? What kind of actions? What kind of things do they say? How do they speak to their team and the people around them? 
What do they do when their alarm clock goes off at six o'clock in the morning? And then imagine that person and wind the clock back to today and ask yourself, that guy, that person you've just envisaged in your mind, that person you want to be, imagine what would that person be doing today in their pursuit of those goals? Wind it back from wherever it is you see the end point and come back to now. Think of the most successful person you can imagine and ask yourself, what would they be doing today? What kind of actions and behaviours? What kind of words would be coming from their mouth? What would they be doing today in pursuit of those goals? What would a really successful person be doing right now? And I know this works because this was exactly what we went through at McLaren. When we went through a spell at McLaren of struggling, quite frankly, we'd been a team that was used to winning, winning races, challenging for world championships. And then we went through a dry spell. We went through a spell that was difficult, went through a bit of turmoil within the team. We had lost ourselves to some extent and we brought in a brilliant person, somebody who became a mentor to me, someone who is sadly no longer with us, but I had so much time and respect for and taught me so much, Dr. Aki Hintzer. And one of the things that Aki taught us and something that I have gone on to teach people that I've mentored ever since is this idea of putting yourself in the shoes of the person you want to be further down the line when those goals have been hit. He said, what would a Formula One team who is consistently successful look like? What would they be doing? What kind of procedures and protocols would they have in place that would then lead on to the success that you're seeing in your mind? I mean, we can think in the modern terms of a team like Mercedes. Over the past decade, they have been consistently successful. Incredibly slow, incredibly so. A huge amount of credit has to go to Mercedes for what they've achieved over the last decade in Formula One. If you're a Formula One team that's struggling, you could look at Mercedes and say, well, look, how do they behave? Are they the kind of Formula One team that has a factory that's messy and a bit scruffy, that's untidy or dirty? Of course they don't. They're probably a Formula One team that's clean and spotlessly tidy and everything in its place and organised. Are they the kind of Formula One team that turns up a little bit late, that doesn't necessarily look the part? They look rough and dishevelled when they're on the road as they arrive to the circuit, everybody wearing different things. No, of course they're not. They're a Formula One team that are incredibly punctual, that have very strict protocols in place. They represent their team in the most impressive way, in the most professional way. Professionalism is one of their highest values. So what are the values of the person you want to be in six months time? When that person's successful, what values are they living by? And start living by them today. If we go back to the healthy, the fitness goals, the guy who desperately wants the six pack in six months time, do you think that guy's hitting snooze on the alarm clock and rolling over? Of course not. Look at him. Look at him in your mind. He's at the peak of physical fitness. He's motivated. He's sharp. He gets up when the alarm goes off. He bursts out of bed and he gets into his exercise regime. He then goes and eats something healthy. All of these things have been planned out. He has a routine that he follows consistently every single day. He's not doing it twice a week and then forgetting about it for the rest of the week and then coming back to it a week later for a day. He's doing it every day. Consistently, consistency is what drives those successful outcomes. It happens in Formula One. We have to be consistent in our behaviours if we want to achieve something. Doing something small every single day consistently is far more likely to get you a positive outcome than every now and again running off to the gym for a two-hour session that nearly breaks you. It doesn't work like that. It's consistency. It's building that routine and formulating a habit. Getting to the point where consistency means that it becomes easier to do the new thing than it is to go back to the old way of doing things. Because it's programmed in. 
we formulate these little bonds between neurons in our mind that pathways that open up that mean that that blood flow is naturally going that way. We don't have to think about these things. They become our default position. The alarm goes off for me today, and this hasn't been easy, but today my alarm goes off at 6.30, and I bounce out of bed pretty much the second the alarm goes off, and I go straight downstairs, and I crack on with my exercise regime. Now, that's not something I have found easy to do. But implementing all of these little tips and tricks that I've just passed on to you are exactly how I got there. Please don't think that's something that came easy to me. It isn't. And I have to continually keep working at it. It has become a habit. So now I don't even ever think about rolling over to hit snooze. It's not the first thought that pops into my mind. It will still creep in if I allow it to. But my default position, my first thought, my natural behaviour is to turn the alarm off and get up. And so I go through that procedure every day and it's starting to have an impact. And when I said to you at the start of this podcast, I'm feeling good and energised and I am pumped for this year. These are the impacts that this new regime is having. I'm already starting to see benefits of this new health and fitness and nutrition regime that I've implemented in my life. And we are weeks, maybe uh, six weeks into that for me. Six months from now, I can already see the person that I hope I will be at that point. And having worked back, I know that that person that I want to get to, somebody who is fit and healthy and full of energy and power, I know that that person would be doing the things I'm doing today to enable them to get there. And so by me doing it, I hope that I'm now on this path to get to that person. And it is the way it works. It's the way that it has worked in Formula One. It transformed our Formula One team, envisaging what we saw as the perfect Formula One team, the Formula One team we wanted to be, and working back from that and implementing the kind of behaviours, procedures, values that we saw that Formula One team implementing to get to where they were, were going to be, where, where they saw success. Successful outcomes come from the things that you do today, the quiet things, the things that nobody sees, the things that happen at 6.30 in the morning when no one else is around. Getting up and even just doing 15 minutes of some kind of movement and exercise doesn't even have to be that strenuous, but implementing that every day, I guarantee you, guarantee you, will have a positive impact further down the line. And what's that? 15 minutes out of your morning. We can all achieve that. No one can tell us you haven't got time for that. We all have. We spend more than 15 minutes scrolling through social media, watching some rubbish on the telly. We can all dig out 15 minutes in our day if that's what we want to do. But it has to come from a desire to get somewhere better than where you are today. The discomfort of what you feel today, the discomfort of where you are in your life today, the discomfort or pain even sometimes of seeing where your path is heading has to be greater than the effort required to make the change. Until that happens, it's clearly far easier not to go through that effort. It's not to make that change, it's just to carry on. But that's not going to get you to where you want to get to. And this has to come from you. As I said, there are two types of change. I'm talking about the change that we're driving ourselves because we see an opportunity further down the line. We see an opportunity to be better, to improve our lives, to get more successful outcomes in whatever facet of our lives we're thinking about. But most of us, particularly if you're listening to this podcast, I would hope that that's exactly the kind of person you are. So have a think about what you would like to improve, why you would like to improve it, and then start formulating a plan for how you're going to do it. And the final little tip that I would say that really has helped me on a personal level is giving yourself some kind of accountability. Telling yourself you're going to get up at 6.30 in the morning is one thing, but if no one else has heard it, it's quite easy to not do it. Who's going to know? 
if you tell somebody else that you're going to get up at 6.30 in the morning, you might feel a sense of responsibility, a sense of accountability to that person. Now, I find it really helpful to often use things like social media, to use you guys. If I tell you through my social channels that I'm going to start doing a certain thing, I feel a responsibility to do it. If I didn't do it, I'd feel like I'd not just let myself down, but I'd let everybody else down. So implementing a set of accountability procedures in whatever change you want to make is another really important step. It's another way to prevent you slipping back. It's another little safety net to prevent you from slipping back into the old ways of doing things. Because you've got to save a bit of face here. You've told everyone you're going to do it. What are they going to think if you don't? Are they all going to roll roll their eyes and go, oh, I knew he wouldn't do it. Do you want to be that guy? So if you really want to make the change, announce it. Tell the world. Put out your own little press release. This is what I'm going to do. Get people to check in on you. Get people to ask you if you're still doing it. I told the world I was going to, and this is, look, I'm going to be really honest with you here. Here's something that I failed on in this sense. I told everybody that I was writing my second book. Now, this is really honest. I haven't told anybody this. I told all of you on social media, I've probably even said it on this podcast, that I was writing my second book. Now, I have been commissioned to write a second book. I'm really excited about it. It's a book, as I said to you, it's a book about the kind of subjects we talk about on this podcast. It's a really exciting project and I am desperate to get it finished. But have I done it? No. How far in am I? Not very. And I've been doing this now for six months, maybe even more. I actually announced this on the world to social media that I was starting this project probably six or even eight months ago. I can't remember. And I am 5,000 words into a book that will end up being probably 120,000 words. I'm right at the beginning. I'm nowhere near it. And it's taken me eight months to get that far. That's terrible. And that has come from a number of things. A lack of motivation on my part. I've got too many hurdles in my way, too many excuses that I find very easy to make, a lack of time, I've got too many other things on the go, I've got no deadline, nobody's given me a deadline by which it has to be finished and that means it's open-ended so I can keep pushing it as long as I want. I haven't formulated a habit by which I do a little bit every single day. When I get down to do some I really enjoy it and I start powering through and I, I get a bit done and I'm really motivated again. And then the next day something crops up and I haven't got time to do it. And then it falls by the wayside. So one of my challenges in 2023 is to get this done. And maybe this is where I do my accountability piece. This is where I tell you that I'm going to do it. In fact, here we go. I hadn't planned to do this, but I'm going to do it now in front of you. This is where I am making myself accountable to you. And I would love it if you could check in on me every now and again. And I will happily do the same for you. If you want to let me know what your goals are, where you want to get to, what your time frames are, I'm happy to try and help you with those. I'd love it if you want to do the same for me. I am going to try and implement a habitual routine for writing maybe half an hour a day of my book. That's a small amount. But if I do it every single day, it becomes a habit. It becomes part of my daily routine. And very quickly, those numbers of words will build. I will start to rattle through this project and things will start to perpetuate. The more I get through it, the more motivated I'm sure I'll be to do it. But I've got to find and implement some routines to make it a habit, to take away the obstacles in my way and to make it easier for me to achieve these things. So if you want to achieve something in 2023, if you've got a goal, if you've got a resolution that you started that you're already waning on, let's help each other. I've told you what mine is. I will do it. I'm committing to do it now. And I will happily update you on progress as I go, good or bad. But I am telling you now that I am going to make this happen. Who's with me? Who wants to make something happen in 2023 that I might be able to help with? Or our community here. Put it in the chats. Put it in the comments. Let me know what you want to achieve. Put it in the reviews if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. That would be great. And our community can help motivate you and push you along. That is what we are very, very good at here. 
So look, let's do this together. There's my first part of today's podcast, looking at change that we're driving. Now I want to sort of come and bring it back round to the other type of change and finish up with the other side of this story. And this is when I said I went to Abu Dhabi um, last week to talk to this big company. I went to talk about how change is happening in the world and there is opportunity on the other side of that change if we deal with it well. And on that front, which is a very different way of looking at it, that's a way of seeing that opportunity when others might see threat. And I've touched on some of these subjects before, but I talked to this company about the idea that when tobacco advertising was banned in Formula One, most of Formula One saw that as, an, uh, as a huge threat to their existing ways of doing things. And that happened because at the time, tobacco money, tobacco advertising was something that was really easy money. There was a lot of money and Formula One teams had become utterly reliant upon it. But when that was banned, when that opportunity was taken away from Formula One, not something Formula One decided to do, but a change that was thrust upon them. The environment or the regulations, the rules in which they had to operate changed. And all of a sudden, you're faced with a choice. Do you embrace that change? Do you look at it as an opportunity and a blank canvas in which to work? Or do you see it as a threat? Do you see it as the world fighting against you? Do you see it as something that's unfair, taking away your existing ways of doing things, the ways that you've become comfortable with and even successful at. And that is how many people in Formula One saw that change back at the day, at the time. Now, I was talking to an enormous waste management company out in Abu Dhabi. They are a company, one of the companies that when you take your waste to the refuse tip, to the refuse site, perhaps your local refuse site, bags of waste, building waste, all manner of recycling. They are the company or one of the companies that take that away and have to do something with it. They have to dispose of it. They have to get rid of it. Now, for many, many years, what we just did was dig a big hole in the ground and throw it all in and bury it. For many of these companies, they would pay another country to ship that waste over to another country and let them deal with it. A country that was desperate for the money, we could pay them relatively little and they would deal with our problem. Now today, the world has changed. The environment has changed. The expectation of people and the clients of these companies has also changed. There's now a demand for recycling. There's a demand for environmental waste disposal, for looking at sustainable options like reusing certain elements of that waste. They have to dispose of that waste in a much more responsible way. Now, that's not something that they have necessarily driven themselves, but there is an expectation in the world now because the world thinks differently to the way that it thought 20 years ago. We can't just bury everything in the ground. Quite frankly, we still bury a lot, but now we have to recycle. We have to recycle as much as we can. There are certain quotas they have to hit. There are expectations from their clients that these companies will dispose of their waste in the most environmentally friendly way that is possible at the moment. And to do that, they have to put in a huge amount of work and investment and time in developing some of these new methods, these new techniques, developing new machinery, new tooling, new transportation methods. There's a huge amount of money and effort that has to go into exploiting this change to managing this change. Now, you could see that as something that's hugely unfair because your profits are going to go down, right? Because the world has said you've got to do things differently. There may be no greater income for you, but your outgoings, your expenses are suddenly going up because of these new methods and tools and, and processes that you have to develop. But is there another way to look at it? Is there another way where you could actually see opportunity because as the world changes, and this is exactly what I said to this company last week, as the world changes, there is opportunity because not everybody in your competitive environment sees it the same way. Some will react quickly. Others will react more slowly. Others will see threats. And if you can see opportunity, the opportunity gets even bigger. 
you get the chance to exploit that opportunity before others have had time to react, before others see that same opportunity that you might be seeing. And in their case, it was about really embracing this idea of environmental impact. It was about embracing this idea of responsible waste management and not just doing it because regulations had changed and they had to tick a box. And that is what a number of companies in that space have done, because it can be the cheapest way, it can be the quickest way to achieve satisfaction of the new regulations. Just a box ticking exercise, putting in the minimum to get through the new regs. Formula One teams can do that. But that's not going to make you the fastest or the best Formula One team, is it? If you exploit the opportunity that comes with a changing set of regulations, there is massive chance to accelerate your position, to accelerate your success, to get much better outcomes. And that's what this company was now having to do. They were taking the position that if they were the most environmentally friendly company, if they were the most responsible waste management company, they will become more attractive to their clients. If their clients are also facing this changing world where they have to be responsible about who they partner with, well, then there's an opportunity for here, for this company, to become the most responsible people in that environment, in that space. And if they can demonstrate that they've gone to greater lengths than anybody else to become more responsible, to become more environmentally friendly or sustainable... If they can show that and demonstrate that and commit some resource and investment in that, on the other side of that dramatic change, as it was for them, there's opportunity. Because clients, that's a big tick box for their clients. Their clients want to be associated with those kind of companies. It looks good for them. It's a great thing to have on their roster of partners, big green companies, environmentally friendly and responsible companies. So there's opportunity. And having gone through this period of change and going through it now, they're starting to see results. They're starting to see that opportunity come to fruition, where their investment is being repaid and will be repaid over the coming years. They are now a year or two ahead of some of their competitors who resisted that change in the beginning. They have a year or two of advantage, having learnt more in that space now. And even if their competitors now see the opportunity and turn around and run in the other direction, they're a couple of years behind. They've got some catching up to do. So embracing the change, if the change is inevitable, and change is always inevitable. We face it, as I said earlier, every single day of our lives. Sometimes that change is so slow. It's constant, but sometimes it's so slow moving, we can easily miss it. We can easily not notice it happening. Things like climate change, as an example, has been happening for years quite slowly at times. And for many of us, it's easy not to notice it, not to see it, not to see too much in the way of dramatic change on a daily basis. But every single day, climate is changing. But sometimes we get big dramatic change, like a massive regulatory change, like a global pandemic that hits the world and hits it big dramatically changing the way that we live our lives, the way that we travel, the way that we work. Now that means there is huge opportunity in all of those spaces for those people who are able to see it most quickly and exploit the advantages that lie within it. And the reason I'm saying all of these things is that whatever we face in our lives, there are things changing around us all of the time, things that are so far beyond our control. We can easily feel like we're just treading water trying to keep up. The government changing rules and regulations, changing interest rates, changing our financial situation through a decision, somebody that we've never met in a governmental position that we have no respect for has made a change one day and it's dramatically impacted our wealth situation, our income or our outgoings. The cost of living crisis is a great example of that. That's not our fault in any way. But the point here is that it's very easy to look at a changing situation and blame somebody else. Look at it as not being our fault. Look at it as being we're the ones hard done by here. 
And of course, those things are all true. Many people are so hard done by every single day. There is so much unfairness around the world that people have to deal with all of the time. But how we deal with that unfairness can have a dramatic impact on the end net result for us. So if it's going to impact the net result for us, is it better to look at that as being hard done by? Is it look, it's better to look at it as being unfair and someone else's fault? Or is it better to try and understand if a changing set of circumstances offers an opportunity for us? Is there something we can do differently? None of us would have wished the global pandemic to happen to us all. None of us would have embraced that in the beginning. None of us would have said, yeah, bring it on. Global pandemic hit me. None of us would have said that. But how many of us now enjoy a little bit more freedom of working from home, not having to go into the office every single day of our lives? How many people now enjoy more time with friends and family as a result of that? A little bit more freedom to walk the dog, perhaps, when you're at home, because you don't have to spend an hour or so on a train getting into the city. There's opportunity that came from that disastrous global pandemic. Many people have built businesses, have created businesses out of that changing environment. I know that many people lost businesses. Many people suffered greatly. Of course they did. But wherever there is change that can bring suffering, that can bring pain, that can bring unfairness, there is always opportunity, opportunity to be successful, opportunity to do things differently that might actually in the long run improve people's lives, make life easier for people. What I'm saying is when the tobacco advertising laws were changed when back in the day of Formula One, almost everybody saw it as a terrible thing. Almost everybody saw it as ripping up the things they'd spent so long investing time and money in to become good at, to become exploiting, uh, to exploit to, to their advantage, to finance this expensive world of Formula One. To take that away was seen as disastrous. But those who saw that change and saw through the disaster to the other side, who were able to fast forward in their minds to what might lie on the other side of that change, were able to see opportunity. And if that change is inevitable, advertising tobacco products in Formula One was never going to be able to happen forever. Burying waste, all of our waste in the ground or shipping it off to another country can never happen forever. There are so many things which we already know will not remain the same in the future. Can we get creative and try to envisage what that new landscape might look like and what the opportunities might be? Formula One is facing exactly that right now with the demise of the combustion engine, the emissions that we create through our Formula One cars, through our travel regime, through the industry that is Formula One. We have to change that. There's opportunity in changing that. The regulations are changing slowly, but can Formula One teams and Formula One as a business fast forward past any deadline of a regulation change? Can we get ahead of the curve and see an opportunity and exploit it? And I can tell you that Formula One is doing exactly that. I've talked about that in previous episodes. But can you do the same? Look at your own lives. Look at your relationships. Look at what you do for a living. Is that industry safe? Is that industry going to remain the same? Or is there change inevitably coming? Could it be seen as a threat or could it be seen as an opportunity? Could you create a business to exploit the opportunity that might be coming? Can you see elements of the company you work for today that are slow in responding to change, that see the threat coming over the horizon where you might see the opportunity and could start a business, could start a rival business to exploit it? You've got a prime position to see that changing landscape from the inside. Is there something you could do with that? And the same can happen around relationships, around finance, around investment, around friendships. You can do it with your children. Look at how their lives are changing. There's so many opportunities that are happening every day, but sometimes so slowly we fail to see them unless we look. 
Guys, thank you so, so much for listening today. I'm so excited that the Pit Lane Life Lessons podcast is back. Please tell your friends, share this episode around. And as ever, if you can spare a moment to give me a rating and a review, especially in the Apple Podcast Store, but wherever it is you're listening to this, give me a follow, a like, a subscribe. However you want to engage, please do so. And let's all make 2023 an unbelievable year. Don't forget this. Do the right things. Do the things right.